It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another Locked On Crossover podcast. This is the Eastern Conference Finals preview. Milwaukee Bucks and Atlanta Hawks. We're going to get into this in just a little bit. I I can't say that this would have been my prediction before the playoffs began that we would be here today. But today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. I am Kane Pittman, the host of Locked on Bucks. And joining me from Locked on Hawks, Brad Rowland and Brad, we are around 24 hours removed from Game 7 in Philadelphia as we are recording this. So my first question to you, understanding what goes into this job and how crazy it can be, particularly with an upset win like that on the road in Game 7, uh, how are you still awake at this point at about 10.45pm <laughs> Eastern? And have you slept at all? What has the last 24 hours been like? Uh, I got a little bit of sleep. Uh, I would say a couple hours. I have a day job too. So I, uh, it was a late, late, late night for sure. After that game, I had several commitments and then had to be up very early for, for work and, uh, certainly grinding lots of, lots of coffee and built bars in the last, uh, day or so, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm feeling all right. Um, I think it's, uh, still the juices flowing of, uh, having this intrigue of a series coming up and obviously at the highest levels here. So, Eventually, I know we'll all probably crash at the end of the playoffs, but for now, uh, we're getting through it. Well, I should say, when I mentioned that I wasn't expecting to do this particular crossover podcast, uh, that goes both ways. The Bucks found themselves down 2-0 in the series against Brooklyn. It seemed highly unlikely that they were going to be able to win four out of five games. Atlanta on this fairy tale run from the five seed, beating the Knicks, beating the Philadelphia 76ers, the number one seed. Uh, where the, the one thing that, that stands out to me coming into this game, which, by the way, game one Wednesday night, 7.30 Central Time, 8.30 Eastern at Fiserv Forum. I won't give Australian Eastern Standard Time. I'm not sure how many Aussie listeners we have here. <laughs> but where, what has this been like for the Atlanta Hawks? Clearly a very, very talented team. A bunch of young uh, guys that are rising to the occasion. But as someone covering the team and really getting a sense of the fan base from the first round through to the second round, what, what has this ride been like? Because it's been remarkable to watch from afar. Yeah, it's been pretty wild. I think, especially when we take the whole thing into account, the Hawks starting 14 and 20 this season. And uh, at, at the time that Lloyd Pierce was fired, they were in 11th place in the East. <laughs> and I can't, I can't begin to tell you what the odds would have been at that, at that moment in time that they would make the conference finals. Uh, so it's been crazy. Uh, you know, I, I think I was 
one of the people that said this as well, but I think there was a general feeling that the Hawks were being undervalued coming into the playoffs. But that was really with regard to the first round series against the Knicks. I thought the Hawks should have been favored in that series, and I thought they were better than the Knicks and all that stuff. But even then, they, they took, a, took care of business with them. And I think pretty much no one picked them against Philadelphia. Hmm. I thought they had a pretty good chance, honestly, in that series, but not I, I didn't pick them. Uh, let me be clear on that. I, I, I wish I was that smart, but I didn't pick them. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. Honestly, they've kind of caught lighting, lighting in a bottle in a lot of ways. And really, this is a talented team. I mean, maybe Millen has done a great job. They have uh, this belief and that's sort of been his calling card that he's been sharing with everybody. And uh, they're really just, you know, house money is overplayed, but they're playing loose and they're playing um, inspired basketball. And they believe that they're as good as they seem to be at this moment. They're, they're feeling like they can do anything and even after the win you know they were celebrating to be sure and I'm sure it was a raucous scene in that locker room in Philadelphia but everybody to a man came on zoom and and they were all talking about how they weren't done and you know obviously this is an uphill battle in a lot of ways against Milwaukee but they just feel like they're uh, loose and free right now and I think the fan base is just really really caught on to this team as well like you know Trey Young being there I'm sure is a big part of that but they're really bought in I think across the city across the fan base and the team as well. I love that you use the term house money because I've been thinking about this a little bit just over the last 24 hours in terms of what the build-up for this series will be. And I think we've already seen parts of it, you know, whether you watch some national stuff. Uh, and by the way, Milwaukee, not used to uh, getting the favorable comments from the national media when it comes to a playoff matchup. So that's a little bit of a shock to hear some of that. But pressure has been something I've brought up a little bit through this postseason run for Milwaukee because I certainly balked at the idea before the first round that the Bucs weren't under pressure because this felt like a career-defining playoff run for Giannis. And yes, that seems a little bit extreme given the fact that he's only 26. But with the narratives that we've seen building over the last couple of years, it felt that way. Certainly for Mike Brunenholzer, this was going to be a uh, Milwaukee uh, tenure-defining playoff run to this point. He's got him to the conference finals no matter how it happened. But some people suggested that the Bucs weren't under as much pressure because they weren't the favorites. They had to go through Miami. They would have to go through Brooklyn. And then it was thought that they would have to go through Philadelphia. Now it's Atlanta. And it's funny how the tables are going to turn here. The three seed Bucks, who you couldn't have imagined would have home court advantage heading into the Eastern Conference Finals, now have that. They have game one on their home floor. So when you look at this series, to me, there's no question that the Bucs are under immense pressure to win this series, whereas Atlanta, they, they are. I mean, there's no doubt. They're going to say that there's, there's unfinished business. They've still got work to do. They've got ambitions of not only getting to the finals but winning the title. But to me, when I look at this series, all the pressure is on the Bucs to take care of business. I totally agree. I think that uh, Milwaukee... To your point there, I think probably had more pressure than national folks let on. Um, and maybe maybe that was Bud and Giannis more than anything else. Right, those, right. Two, those, two, those two individuals had some pressure. But I totally agree. I think no one would claim that the Hawks are now under pressure in this series. They're definitely um, – not that they're not supposed to be here, but that's the feeling in a lot of ways. And Milwaukee suddenly uh, has the tables turned on them where if they don't, if they don't win this series, you will get – uh, the Twitter memes will come out in force, basically, if Milwaukee's not able to win this series with home court advantage against a team in the Hawks that was the five seed. Whereas if the Hawks win, they're just kind of cruising. I mean, uh, <laughs> if they lose, um, I guess if they get swept, maybe they'll have a little bit of, uh, of you know, backlash to that. But short of that, I think no one will be upset with, the, with this Hawks result, even if they lose the series, whereas I'm not sure that's the case for Milwaukee now. Which does feel a little disrespectful to me, to Atlanta. And sure, it's been a surprising playoff run. But I think judging this Atlanta series 
uh, sorry, this Atlanta season, this regular season, and the fact that they were the fifth seed, based on what you brought up at the start of the podcast, Brad, when you talk about the coaching change, talk about the, you know, a player like Bogdan Bogdanovich getting healthy towards the, the second half of the season, that's when they really made their run. So I don't think that it's fair to judge them on their overall record rather than take it on face value, the way that they've played. This is a really talented team. I don't think by any stretch this is a cakewalk for the Bucs. Yes, I think that they should win the series. But when you look at the the regular season series, the third game between these two teams, so the Bucs won two out of three. The Hawks won the third game. Trey Young didn't play in this game, but it feels like to me that that was the blueprint for the Hawks winning this series. They have a bunch of guys that can shoot the outside shot. I think looking back at that game, it's interesting to look at the box score and go back and watch it and look at the rotations and the substitutions. I'm not sure whether we're going to see something similar from the Bucs. I would highly doubt it when you look at it and the key players were in the low 30s. Things are clearly going to change. But in terms of being able to use your ball handlers uh, with dribble handoffs, with pick and roll situations, drive and kick, use the Milwaukee Uh, their willingness to help in the paint against them and find the outside shooters. The Hawks got the results that they wanted and probably the results that they're going to be looking for through this series. Bogdanovich hit six threes. Lou Williams was excellent off the bench. He had 15 points. Gallinari had 15 points. It feels to me that if the Hawks are going to win this series, they're going to score a whole bunch of points and they're going to hit a whole bunch of threes. Yeah, that tracks. I think uh, that game was weird because, you know, with, with no Trey, yeah. the, the Hawks played no point guard for a lot of that game. Mm-hmm. It was just a very interesting – I went back and watched a little bit of that today in preparation. and Because it's hard I – mean, to your point, it's hard to find Hawks tape for the regular season that actually reflects yeah. what they are now just because of they're so different now than what they were before. Um, not only the coaching change, but the roster. You know, DeAndre Hunter is not with them right mm-hmm. now, but – being at relatively full strength besides that. And Bogdanovich is definitely a big question mark as he was hampered at the end of the Philadelphia series. But yeah, I think that's the, you know, the roadmap that makes some sense is the Hawks need to make shots in this series. And honestly, I'll own this. I would have said the same thing about the Philadelphia series and they didn't really make a ton of shots and they somehow won it anyway. Um, But I do think that the Hawks, if they are going to win this series, are going to have to not light it up crazy from three-point range, but they're going to have to stretch this defense out. Um, You're going to have to rely on Trey Young, you know, beating drop coverage, uh, making floaters, making off-dribble threes, and that kind of stuff to sort of juice their offense. Because Milwaukee, for all their offensive question marks, uh, they were pretty awesome defensively for most of that series against Brooklyn, and I think you could probably rely on them doing that again. We'll get back to myself and Kane in a moment, but first, it is time to reveal the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week for the Hawks in the last seven days, and obviously, I talked a lot about Kevin Herter on last night's show, but I'm not sure if I said this plainly enough, but it is true. Even if you remove the stakes of Game 7, which you can't do, it was a huge game for the Hawks, huge game for Herter, the biggest game of his career. Take that away, though. Game 7 was still the best game that he has ever played in the NBA. It wasn't quite his career high in terms of scoring, which was 29 points, by the way, in the same building against Philadelphia during his rookie season. But his entire floor game, his improved defense, the shot making, the way he carried the offense at different times on the way to 27 points on a very, very high efficiency in that game. You know, when you throw in the stakes, it's not even close, very clearly. But it would be accurate to say that Herter had the best game of his career in the biggest game of his career, which speaks for itself. He's also been nails the entire playoffs, which has to sort of be out there as well. It's not this, this is a, not a one-off for Kevin Herter. He's been very, very good the entire playoffs. So it's a pretty easy decision this week. Trey Young, always awesome. John Collins also played very well in the uh, series and also at the end of, at the end of uh, Game Seven. But 
this time around, it is Kevin Herter. Are you happy because you win? Do you win because you're happy? With only 95 calories, with this carbs, it's only worth it if you enjoy it in the end. Joy creates success, and enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Michelob Ultra and the Ultra Player of the Week is Kevin Herter. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Credit Karma. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is brand new checking accounts where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can daily win. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and there are free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money, progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC, maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So what do you see defensively the matchups looking like for Atlanta? Because uh, to your point with this Philadelphia series, I think as we look at that Sixers team as a whole throughout the season, they were always a little bit questionable offensively. And I think coming into that series, that's why you would have given the Hawks a chance because you thought that they had the firepower to at least match it with the Sixers. The Bucs just come off a series against Brooklyn where their offense, quite honestly, really struggled to get out of, out of third gear. They weren't able to score. The jump shots weren't falling. They shot horrifically from three for the first six games of the series. Were able to make some shots in game seven. So you think that the Bucs are going to, to work their way out of that, but Brooklyn wasn't exactly the most fearsome defensive team. So what do you see the Hawks doing defensively to try and slow down the Bucs? Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. I think, you know, optimistically, if you're the Hawks, you're hoping that Milwaukee has some of the issues that they had against Brooklyn. Um, just because, you know, we, we've now seen over a couple of seasons that Milwaukee is capable of having some lulls offensively. That's not really controversial mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Um, at the same time, I have a question about how they're going to approach it because Brooklyn, while defensively they're not great, their personnel they were actually using in that series without Kyrie was pretty conducive to at least decent defense. I mean, they were they were switching everything. They were not small at all, really anywhere. Uh, you know, when Bruce Brown's your smallest guy, you're in pretty good shape to be switching and all that stuff. And the Hawks can't really do that with their lineups. Uh, Trey Young, I think, is actually – this is going to sound weird. I think Trey Young is underrated defensively now and that he's not as bad as people think, think that he is, but he's not good and he's small. And Lou Williams is the same thing. He's actually, I think, maybe worse than Trey defensively. Um, so pretty much at all times, the Hawks are going to have somebody on the court that will make it hard for them to switch in the way that Brooklyn was doing. And that was a big reason, at least in my view, why Brooklyn had some success against Milwaukee. So trying to figure out where they put Trey is a, is a question um, how do they approach Giannis? They don't have a perfect Giannis defender. I think you probably see John Collins on him a lot. You also see Clint Capella, I think, at times. Um, but then if you do that, what do you do with Brooke Lopez? 
question marks abound. And I think particularly if the Bucks end up starting P.J. Tucker or playing him a lot, do you put Trey Young at P.J. Tucker? And uh, P.J. has got, you know, 50 pounds minimum on him, probably even more. Uh, there's there's some questions to see. And, and I'll, I mean, I sort of bury the lead, but also if Bogdanovich is limited at all, Kevin Herter is kind of their only wing defender at that point in time. Uh, where do you put him? Middleton's not a great uh, matchup for Herter because Herter is, I think, a pretty quality defender, but he's not the strongest guy, and Middleton will get to his spots, as you well know. So uh, I have questions about the matchups, honestly. I have some ideas, but not a whole lot of clarity, particularly until we know what's going on with Bogdanovich, other than try to hide Trey and then uh, pick your poison on Middleton. What is the sense with Bogdanovich? Because I, I've tried to sort of, like everyone else, watch the post games, get a sense or some sort of feel for that. Do you, are you hearing anything or what is the, the word? I mean, it, it's probably expected that he will play, but how limited is he going to be? Because clearly over you know, game six, the second half of game six and game seven, uh, it wasn't much of a factor. Yeah, I mean, as we're recording this, um, I'll, I'll be transparent. I, I really don't have any great information. They, the Hawks had the day off today as they uh, they traveled to Milwaukee straight from Philadelphia. They didn't practice. They didn't talk to the media. So we've gotten no new info between the end of the game and now. And beyond that, Nate McMillan has kind of taken uh, being an obstructionist to a science at this point. He is not going to share information. <laughs> uh, I think the only thing that we might learn is that he's out. If, if there's any chance he's going to play, they will not – tell anyone until uh yeah. late 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 in the process now to your point he did not look good in game seven physically and at the end of game six he came out and didn't play in the fourth quarter um i think it's probably a safe bet at least relatively so to assume he, he won't be a hundred percent if he's playing um and honestly i'm not even sure he helped them a ton in game seven but the thing is they don't have really anybody behind him so you know 70 percent of Bogdanovich is still probably more effective than their backups just because he has to be guarded he, you know he, he did not make shots in that series against Philadelphia but he was red hot for the final like two and a half months of the season and at, at the very least he will be guarded whenever he's out there whereas his backups you know Tony Snell who actually had a great year um, shooting the ball but is a low volume guy Solomon Hill doesn't have to be guarded much at all um, the Hawks just are very very shorthanded right now without DeAndre Hunter and Ken Reddish to the point where if Bogdanovich either can't play or is limited, the, the rotations get pretty dicey in a hurry, especially when you factor in Milwaukee's overall size. Well, watching game seven, uh, I was very disappointed to know that Dante DiVincenzo won't be in this game. I was having visions of Kevin Herter and Dante DiVincenzo just going back <laughs> to back to back in a redheaded battle in the Eastern Conference Finals. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. And to your point about Nate McMillan, I'm sure a lot of the Locked on Hawks listeners will be very familiar with Mike Budenholzer. And yeah, if anything goes down, Bud isn't giving away a millimeter, an inch, wherever you come from in the world. He's not giving away anything <laughs> in the postseason uh, when no. it comes to media availability. So I, I totally understand that. I, I want to get back to the, the size stuff that you were just talking about, because this is the fascinating a question for me I think to your point about Trey Young guarding PJ Tucker I think that's why it's kind of interesting from the Bucks point of view whether they continue to start PJ Tucker now I'll say this I I don't think that it would be a typical Mike Budenholzer move to make a change in the starting lineup without really needing to so I do anticipate that PJ Tucker is going to start in game one but I do think that that's the obvious matchup for Trey Young to defend. And you just try and hide him and then hope that uh, he can get away with defending PJ because you know that 
PJ, even if he does have the size advantage, he's not going to take advantage of that. And the Bucs aren't going to run the offense through PJ Tucker. So I think it is fascinating to see whether Milwaukee would roll with a Pat Connaughton, for instance, and put him in the starting lineup. To me, that makes a little bit of sense. We'll wait and see how this plays out. But that size certainly is the one thing that, that I look at and I say, okay, well, this is a real advantage. We know that Drew Holiday, as well as any point guard in the league, really, if he gets a smaller guy on him, he's going to take him straight to the post and try and score on him or facilitate from those areas with shooters all around the perimeter. So that stands out, whether it's Trey, whether it's Lou Williams, but also on the defensive end, I'm curious if you have any more info on, on how Trey Young has fared against Drew Holiday in the past, because he only played one game this season against Drew. Drew really locked him up. Trey Young finished at three for 17 from the field, and it did look like that size, that strength was an issue. But Trey Young just came up a series where he was defended by Ben Simmons. So at least he's going to know what he's in for when, when he's guarded by Drew Holiday in this series. I, I think that, Basically, no matter who is guarding Trey Young, you can assume he's going to get his on some level. Oh, yeah. You know, he was he was terrible in Game Seven by his standards in terms of shooting ball. But if you watch the game back, his looks were not bad in Game yeah. Seven. He just missed a bunch of shots. And Drew, you know, is an awesome defender. I think uh, that's one of the advantages Milwaukee might have against a lot of opponents that the Hawks can be facing here is that Drew is someone who you don't you can kind of put on a relative island against Trey and not have to do too much craziness in terms of blitzing and all that stuff to get the ball out of his hands. He's going to get beat some, but he'll also do his job and that gives them an advantage. Um, I, I think Trey is comfortable against size. He's seen it a lot now, um, you know, not, not only in the last series, but really the entire season. Um, if there was any game planning at all against him with certain opponents, and I know it's regular season, but he's now used to being dealt with by bigger guys. Um, when it's not Drew, I mean, if Drew's ever not, not on the floor, um, we have a running joke now with uh, some of the guys in the Peachtree Hoops Slack channel that I talk to regularly um, that if Bryn Forbes is ever on the court with Trey Young, um, that's going to be a long, a long night for, for Bryn Forbes, uh, just because they're going to try to do everything they possibly can to get him uh, to get him isolated. But you know, beyond that, you know, Drew can do his job, and you kind of have to leave him there. And I think that in in general, you know, on the other end of the floor, you, you kind of have to try to hide Trey on whoever is not one of the big four guys, right. basically. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is. Because, you know, I, there's a school of thought that I've already heard from Hawks fans about, you know, why can't Trey guard Drew, Drew Holiday? Because Drew has struggled a little bit and all that stuff. And like you said, um, if, they do, if they did that, uh, Drew is one of the more physically capable point guards of just kind of, you know, taking advantage of a smaller opponent. And I think that would not go well for Atlanta. So you have to figure out a way, way to hide him. And if you're Milwaukee, you want to make, you want to make Trey work. So I'm kind of with you on Connison. Not that Connison's any great shakes there, but he will at least make Trey do a little bit more than PJ Tucker would. I guess the one advantage that PJ has is that he's so much bigger than maybe, maybe the offensive glass or mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, banging up, banging into him a little bit. But uh, no great solutions on that end of the floor. But at least they have Drew. Uh, I mean, I guess the question back to you would be, like, what happens if Drew's in foul trouble or what happens if Drew, uh, you know, is out of the game for whatever reason? Like, what's plan B on Trey Young? Yeah, I mean, this is – and they kind of just went through this with a series with James Harden. I feel like if you were preparing to guard Trey Young, then maybe James Harden, in terms of his ability to – draw foul calls might be the best preparation even if he was limited I think anyone that watched those last three games in the series would be fairly comfortable in saying that James Harden uh, was 
was still up to his old tricks, should we say that, in terms of drawing foul calls. Certainly, Trey Young is super crafty. You expect that he's going to try and get those calls. And it's a lot of the times, it feels like it's on the officials. Are they going to blow the whistle tonight? Are they not going to? Are they going to give him those foul calls? But if, if Drew Holiday gets in foul trouble and he's out of the game, the Bucs don't really have a backup point guard. I don't think that they're going to play Jeff Teague in this series at all. I certainly would not recommend that they do so. So it does make things a little bit difficult because then you're looking at a bunch of, of basically bigger guys, whether it is Pat, whether it's uh, PJ Tucker, Chris Milton, there's, there's big guys. So there's no doubt a key to this series is Drew Holiday finding a way to stay out of foul trouble. And I don't think that you're going to ever see Bryn Forbes trying to defend Trey Young. Um, you mentioned that he obviously had a huge series against Miami in the first round. But what we saw during the second round was that he basically became unplayable. And what I su- suspect that you'll see from the Bucks is they'll try Brent Forbes in the first quarter, in the second quarter, early in the series, see if he's knocking down his threes, see if they can get another Bryn Forbes game. But when it comes down to it, I don't think that they're going to put him out on the floor. And I think watching game seven between the Hawks and the Sixers, it became even more evident that you can't really afford to have a smaller guy out there like Bryn Forbes. Because I think what we saw Kevin Herter do to Seth Curry was uh, perhaps illegal in some states, the way that he was able to get into the paint, get to the free throw line and score on him on repeat. And it wasn't even, and look, he's a very capable three-point shooter, as we know Kevin Herter, but he was doing his damage by just being too big and taking him into the lane and scoring over him, making some absolutely miraculous shots. So I don't, and I think the trouble for the Sixers during that series was that they needed Curry for his offense. Whereas I think the Bucs are just going to say, eh, we don't, we don't really need Bryn Forbes for his offense. We can stick with the size. Yeah, I mean, you'll know this more than I would, but how, how willing is Bud to just kind of, you know, he was basically playing six guys at times yeah. in that series. Is he willing to do that for an entire series in the Eastern Conference Finals? Whereas McMillan uh, still now has pretty much never trimmed his rotation. Like he, he played eight guys in the second half of game seven. That's as, far as he was, that's as far as he's gone so far. He's not someone who's going to play short rotations. Now, granted, he was playing against Doc Rivers and Tom Thibodeau, both of whom were playing essentially full second units, which was crazy to watch, but it <laughs> happened. Uh, and I, I wonder who blinks first. I mean, Bud's now done it where uh, he sort of answered that one question. You know, obviously there's, there are others, but Bud's willingness to play his guys more minutes has now kind of been answered, at least so far in this playoffs, whereas the Hawks haven't really gone – all in. They played their guys a lot. Uh, Herter and Young, in particular, played 40-plus minutes a couple times, but they're still going to this, these units with Solomon Hill or uh, you know, or Lou for a long time, whether he has it or not, uh, etc. So I want to see where that line is now that they're on another level yet again and just kind of see what their plan is on who's going to play and when because if the Bucks are going basically with the starting five in Connaughton with a, little, with a tiny bit of Forbes – uh, there, are, there, are, there aren't a, a lot of places to hide. We'll have more with myself and Kane momentarily, but first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today, and the first of which is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at betonline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB and NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at betonline.ag. 
Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with betonline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code, one more time, is Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today's show is also sponsored by the good folks at rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models in the car or truck world, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure often pointless questioning from someone at a storefront and have to wait while someone at the counter orders the parts on the computer, only choosing the brand that the warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com right now, both at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all the audio and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is uniquely and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your car and choose the brands, specs, and prices that you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you went right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box to know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Yeah, no question. The other guy that was out of the rotation late in that series, didn't play at all in the final three games, was Bobby Portis. Now, uh, I think a big part of that was Brooklyn went small. There was really no need to play Bobby Portis when Brooke Lopez was having such a a big influence. And in a series against Atlanta, yeah, Trey Young's going to ask questions of Brooke Lopez when it comes to getting downhill and being one of the best uh, shooters of the floater in the league. And he's going to get those looks. I'm anticipating that. He gets them against anyone. He's that good. But you do feel with Capella being on the floor that you're going to be able to play Brook Lopez. So the question around Bobby Portis will still be there. I think the one thing that we've seen with Mike Budenholzer, and I think that he deserves credit, he has been willing to adjust in this postseason. But the one thing that he hasn't yet done is he hasn't been quick to make those adjustments. Like he, he played Giannis and Drew and all these guys 40 minutes when the season was on the brink and he's like, well, <laughs> yeah. shit, I better play my best guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's kind of been forced adjustments. So do I think that he's going to do that in game one? No, I think that he's going to feel his way into the series, which is going to infuriate Bucks fans. I can already predict that, but that's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting he'll go with uh, probably eight guys, eight or nine guys in game one. If they win, he'll stick with it. If they lose, then you'll see him adjust again. That's the Mike Brunholzer that I think we've seen over the course of the last few seasons. Yeah, I can I can attest to that. Back in his Atlanta days, it was very similar. Uh, to your point about Portis, though, that's interesting because I think particularly if Bogdanovich is limited, but even if he's not, the Hawks played pretty big mm-hmm. against Philadelphia. And, you know, Philly is also a big team, but so is Milwaukee. And I think you might see that Gallo at the three lineup that the Hawks had a lot of success with. Um, they're obviously huge in that group. Uh, that's about as big as you can possibly get in the modern NBA to have Gallo at the three with Collins and Capella. That's a massive unit. And if Milwaukee does, if Milwaukee sees that lineup, maybe that's an avenue to get Portis on the floor a little bit. I don't know if they'll do that or, or if they'll want to, but you know, that's actually what sort of underplayed. I thought at least nationally was like, Portis went from this integral part of their team throughout the season and actually played pretty well at times in the playoffs and then then suddenly was gone because of what Brooklyn was doing, whereas the Hawks generally go bigger rather than smaller. Defensively, for sure. I think that's where it stood out to me. Portis had some pretty good minutes in that Brooklyn series, which has clearly been the question mark for him over the course 
of his career. So I, I think he deserves credit for that. I think the calculus completely changes when the Bucks were playing PJ Tucker as the primary defender on Garnett, because then all of a sudden the Bucks kind of have a huge lineup in terms of nominally by position. Chris Middleton at six eight is playing the two, so it, it kind of it was the matchups that dictated that. But I think it's a fair point if if they do run with those those really by today's standards, big lineups, the Hawks, you could see some Portis minutes for sure. Um, but the Bucks in general are, are a big team when you consider that Giannis is playing at the four. So it, it's kind of an interesting matchup. And for the Hawks to go from Embiid to Brook Lopez, clearly, I mean, the Bucks aren't running the offense through Lopez like Philadelphia do with Embiid. But in terms of at least size for size, it's, it's kind of similar. Yeah, it is. Uh, and that's... One of the questions that I, I know I've been getting the last you know day or so is basically you know what's the difference between Milwaukee and Philadelphia, which you're just pro- kind of broadly speaking, and you know they're just they're very different, but they're also you know they're relying on on big stuff, and you know Giannis versus Embiid is very different in that Embiid is more of a post up guy, Giannis is obviously trying to attack and uh, has the has the foul questions. We'll say, mm-hmm. um, not. Co- I mean, the Hawks are now, uh, I guess, used to playing against a guy who does, who does not want to go to the free throw line in, in Ben Simmons. But the difference is that Giannis is not afraid of going to the line. He just doesn't <laughs> shoot well, shoot all that well when, when he gets there. But uh, yeah, I think that the Hawks, on one hand, will be prepared to play big and be physical. But this is a different beast, um, particularly with their matchups, because um, you, you kind of knew that Capella was going to guard Joel Embiid whenever they were on the floor in the last series. Whereas I'm not entirely sure what the plan is going to be for Giannis. I think in a lot of ways, John Collins makes sense on Giannis. But if you look in the past, John has struggled with Giannis. I think, I think Collins has come a long way defensively, but he's not necessarily the greatest matchup for him in the world. And then if you go to you know him on Brook and Capella on Giannis, if Capella, I mean, if Giannis somehow finds his jump shot, maybe that's a, a negative because Capella's not going to go out so far. So it'll be an interesting chess match to see where they start where they finish, what kind of wrinkles they have, and just kind of you know matching up size for size. You know, the Hawks are one of the only teams I think in the in the league, at least on the, at least at the highest level, that could actually match the Bucks size for size with their lineups. But that isn't always the best solution. I don't want to speak ill of my fellow countryman Ben Simmons, but <laughs> I, I will say this. For any Hawks fans that think that maybe the same tactics would work, I can guarantee you that Giannis is not coming off the floor no matter how many no. times you foul him. So, uh, it's well, gonna- and he's not going to shoot quite as bad. I mean, Simmons, yeah. it got to the point of absurdity. Like he was shooting, uh, you know, in the mid in the mid thirties. You just kind of, I was yelling and screaming for multiple games that they had to start fouling Simmons, and they finally did it. But honestly. They should have done even more than they did. it. I mean, McMillan did it kind of as a bare minimum to try to come back in the second half. I would have been uh, hacking Ben even even more so. But anyway, they won anyway. <laughs> I, I think there's some kind of almost for Nate McMillan, there's probably it's, – it's, and it sounds crazy in the postseason, but it, it's, it's almost like a pride thing, I think, where he's like, I don't want to oh, do yeah. this. I don't really want to have to do this. But then when you're in the postseason, it's like, fuck it, man. We're, we're trying to win this game. But yeah, I, look, Giannis ain't going to be good passing out of open dunks. I, I can guarantee you that. Uh, what a meltdown that was. But anyway, I, I look, I have said this right from the top. The, I feel like the pressure is all on the Bucks, But geez, the Hawks have been impressive. And you already mentioned it with a couple of guys out of their rotation with Reddish, uh, with obviously DeAndre Hunter, with Bogdan Bogdanovich banged up. It's been a remarkable run. It's been super impressive for the Hawks to get to this point. I've really enjoyed watching them play, to be totally honest. And now we get to this series where, as you said, 
it's they, they get to play free basketball here in these first two games, see if they can steal one of these. It has to be such an exciting time. And I, I think we'd probably be in the same boat. You know, you get these conversations where, well, this is bad for the NBA, the Final Four. I, I am Oof. loving this postseason. I'm loving this postseason. I'm loving seeing the teams in the West that are still alive there as well. I, I just think it's been an absolute blast. And I, I'm so pumped that we're seeing some new teams here in the Final Four with a chance to win the title. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously we, we love basketball. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing this, but it's uh, I think it just becomes, it becomes market talk and all that stuff. And yeah. I think it's pretty, I mean, the storylines speak for themselves. I mean, you have this Milwaukee team with Giannis, a two-time MVP trying to get over the hump. That's a pretty interesting storyline. I know they're in Milwaukee, but come on, that's a very interesting thing. And then for Atlanta, you have this budding star in Trey Young, who's become this villain on the road and he's really, uh, he's really fun to watch and has this great personality and, it's, it sells itself, man. Like this is really, you know, this up and coming team and honestly in a big market, Atlanta's a big market. I mean, they're not treated that yeah. way, but it is. Um, and even in the West, I mean, Phoenix is a lot of fun and the Clippers are, you know, trying to do something that they've never, never done before. So yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's pretty annoying. I get it on some level because the TV ratings discussion just always has to happen. But honestly, if you enjoy basketball, there's a lot to like about the series. So as I said, game one, Wednesday nights, at five serve forum, that's seven thirty PM Central, eight thirty Eastern. And in the lead up to that game, if you want to keep up with all the sports news, whether it's basketball, baseball, NFL offseason, you can get it all on the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Brad, I, I've done, a, obviously, a crossover with Miami round one, crossover with Brooklyn round two. Uh, I, I made a prediction against the Heat. I thought the Bucs were going to win this series. I really dodged the question against the Nets. I said, I think it's going to go seven, <laughs> but I don't know who's going to win that series. That ended up going seven. Are you even, uh, do you like doing predictions? Because it feels kind of, it, it almost feels like a pointless exercise that me and you sit here and, and do a prediction. Yeah, I generally try not to. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, in earlier in earlier iterations of this podcast, I would you know give my more predictive thoughts before games, and I realized that yeah, I'm more informed than most people are. But it's still you know it's a silly exercise. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. I, I have to if I feel very strongly, I will like before the Knicks series, I came out and just said that look, I thought I think the Hawks are going to win the series, and yeah. I felt really strongly about that. I thought they were better. And they were in retrospect, but before the last series, like my, my general thought process against Philadelphia was like, look at a bare minimum, the Hawks have a better chance in this series than people think they have. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the way I think about this series too. Uh, I, I think, like I said before, I think earlier, you know, Milwaukee, they have to be favored in the series. They have home court. Um, they have the better record. They have the better profile, you know, stat wise and all that stuff. So I think if you're a Hawks fan, you can't be surprised that Milwaukee is favored in the series is what I will say. But I think the Hawks, if you look at, if you look at the market, I know our friends have been online that advertise with us and uh, all, all, all across. I think this, the, the Bucks are a bigger favorite in this series in the betting market than, than they should be. That's about as far as I'll go in terms of like an actual prediction, but I think it's going to go a long way. Honestly, I think it's going to be a very uh, close fought series. I think we'll see some close games um, picking a winner. Like who knows uh, both these teams are, capable of uh, I think the Hawks are very capable of winning the series but I think that I'd be I'll be more surprised than anything if this series is like really short if, if Milwaukee swept Atlanta I'd be pretty surprised even if it was five I'd be pretty surprised I think it's gonna be a longer series that's pretty competitive and uh, nothing would truly shock me I don't think 
No, I, I like it. And, and I do agree. As I said, I think that the Hawks already just in some of the predictions I've heard have been underestimated. This is a super talented team. And I think it's going to be a really fun series. Uh, hopefully a little more offense than we saw in that uh, Brooklyn series. It was tense. <laughs> it was tight, but it was an absolute grind. And I know some of those games in the, the Hawks uh, Philadelphia series was exactly the same. I don't know what we're calling this. The Budenholzer Bowl, the Bogdanovich Bowl. There's a lot of storylines here <laughs> that are going to be talked about through this series. The games are every other day, Brad. I know in the second round, I caught up for a second time with the Nets guys. I'm not sure whether we'll find time to do that, but uh, this was awesome, man. This is the first time we podcast together, but it was a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we will potentially find time, but yeah, the schedule is not doing us any favors, but we will be here. Uh, I would encourage Hawks fans to listen to your podcast throughout the series. Uh, it's always good to have that opposite uh, view. Even if you don't, just, even if you don't agree with it, I know a lot <laughs> of fans like don't want to listen to other other teams' stuff. But I think it's just good to inform and have that thought process. Like I was talking about what Philly was doing in the last series. I think I'll be doing the same thing about Milwaukee in this series. Like, why did Bud do this? Why did Bud do that? Because it's a series. There's just a lot of storylines, and this should be fun. Well, I, I'm going to echo, echo that there. If uh, For the Bucks fans, subscribe, share, and support Locked on Hawks uh, throughout this series. Um, we know that the podcasts across the network uh, do a fantastic job covering their teams. And we're down to the final four here in the 2021 season. I, I still can't figure out whether it's been a long season or a short season. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. But here we are. We're finally here at the Eastern Conference Finals. We've got a couple of days here before game one. So uh, both shows... We'll have a couple more podcasts here before we get to tip in game one of Fiserv Forum. But for Brad Ryland from Locked On Hawks and myself, Kane Pittman from Locked On Bucks, stay safe out there and we'll catch you guys next time. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 